You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. On this episode of Woo Pod Suey, we recap the Hogs' tough loss at the Southwest Classic in Dallas. We interview freshman forward for the Razorback soccer team, Jordan Stack. And we look ahead to the rest of the Razorback season coming off a of bye week, including a potential quarterback controversy and the reality of a 3-9 and nine season. All that and more today on Woo Pod Suey. Welcome to the second ever episode of Wupad Sui, the official podcast of Arkansas Fight. I'm Tucker Partridge. My co-host is Saul Malone. Say hello, Saul Malone. How we doing, everybody? Thanks for joining us. We are so thrilled to bring you another episode. Got a lot of great feedback from the first episode, hoping to implement some of that and get it going. With that, let's get it right into it with a recap of Arkansas versus Texas A&M live from Jerry World, Seoul. The Southwest Classic, baby. Now, Tucker, you were there live in Dallas. We had reporters on the ground. We had boots on the ground. I'm going to run some stats by you guys, and I want you to follow up after the stats with kind of an in-person report of how the game actually looked from a fan's perspective that was there because I watched it on TV. So, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get right into the stats. Uh, Before he got injured, Nick Starkle was 12 for 17 for 109 yards, no touchdowns and interception, uh, and a pretty ugly interception at that. Ben Hicks in relief came on for 15 of 27 passing, 188 yards, and a touchdown. Joaquin Boyd led the way with 18 carries for 89 yards. Devois Whaley, three carries for 12 yards. And I thought he did more than that. It's because he did. He did three receptions for 31 yards. It just seemed to me like he was all over the field and gained more yards than the statistics are showing. But I think that's just me being an Arkansas fan and being a little biased. But it seemed like he was zipping all over the field whenever we needed him to. Cheyenne O'Grady led the receiving core with eight receptions for 91 yards out of that tight end slot with Mike Woods going four catches for 62 yards and a touchdown and Traylon Burks four catches for 58 yards. Both of these freshmen flashing very impressive skill sets, I felt, in a big game like this in Dallas, big SEC West opponent. Looked really good, got me really excited. Uh, on offense, the team was 5 of 13 on third down. Not great at staying on the field. We're also flagged. Eight times for 48 yards. However, these penalties came at very inopportune times. Uh, as you know, we have a tendency this season of kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to penalties. That said, after a very disappointing loss to San Jose State, I thought this team looked competent and confident 
and belonged on an SEC field. And I think the fans reacted as such both online and I really enjoyed the fact that all the Arkansas fans that were at the game really gave the, the boys a nice standing ovation, some support as they came off the field because they played hard. They played really hard, kept it close as always. The Texas A&M game is always a game that we seem to play close in no matter what. Uh, we always It's not always an overtime or a nail-biter, which unfortunately we can't seem to be on the winning side of. Uh, all that said, what did it look like to you in Jerry World watching this team play against A&M? Well, it's funny that you should bring up that you felt like Devois Whaley was more productive than his stats led on because I feel like that almost feels like the tale of the game. I was a little surprised to read that Ben Hicks was only 15 of 27 for 188 yards and a touchdown simply because being there, it felt like he was completing every pass he needed to. He came in in relief, and I feel like, I don't know about you, but after the performances against Portland State and the beginning of Ole Miss, I was a little worried. Not sure how he'd be able to rally the team around him after seeing Starkle come in and kind of immediately have some success, but all of a sudden, he looked like a completely different player. Looked confident, looked poised. He was definitely helped by the fact that the offensive line looked a lot better, helped a lot by Colton Jackson coming back into that starting lineup, who actually looked amazing. Um, Definitely looked like a different quarterback. A little disappointing in the sense that you look at him playing like that and wonder, well, what if this Ben Hicks had played against Ole Miss or Portland State? Exactly, where has this Ben Hicks been? Big kudos to him because he came in in a terrible situation and really shown. Um, really shocked that Traylon Burks only had four catches because I swear that guy was all over the field. I could not take my eyes off of him. And aside from a couple of stupid penalties that we're really going to have to work on, particularly jumping off sides at the beginning of plays, which Ugh. he's a freshman, that's going to happen. But he looked the most SEC caliber athlete that I've seen with Arkansas in a couple of years. Obviously Mike Woods played very well and his one touchdown catch was just all around an NFL caliber play. That back shoulder throw by Hicks was beautiful and fighting off the defender and making that catch was really impressive by Mike Woods. Again, younger guy jumped off sides a couple of times and a really disappointing and, uh, Uh, suboptimal, if you will, time. And then, of course, C.J. O'Grady, what a player. Uh, One Mackey tight end of the week that was announced today, and rightfully so, had those 91 yards and honestly could have had more. Yeah, should have had more. Definitely should have had more, as he was the last guy we were throwing to. I think overall, I felt good and that's kind of a puzzling reaction to feel after a loss, and it's definitely a puzzling reaction to feel after a loss to San Jose State, but I feel way better after this game than I did going in. Yeah, and I, I promise this will be the last time I speak of the San Jose loss, but I think that's where that loss becomes even more frustrating because let's say you know we lose this game after coming off a win at San Jose State. You know, we're to it. Three and two there, right? Three and two. You don't feel as bad. You don't feel as bad coming off that loss. Like, yeah, we lost to A&M, but we put up a good 
performance on the field. We put up a good product on the field. And you feel good. You feel good going into the bye week that, hey, we put up a very good fight against a good A&M team, a nationally ranked A&M team. And, you know, you do feel a little better. And that said, since we come, we're coming off two back-to-back losses, maybe that momentum doesn't carry as much. But, again, I'm, I'm, we're mo- I'm again, I know it's two weeks later, and I'm, I'm moving past the San Jose State loss, but I still think it's worth mentioning that it's, it's something that would maybe help you feel a little better if you'd won that game. Moving to the other side of the ball, defense. Again, a little shocked by the statistics here. Numbers say we gave up 340 total yards. They had three touchdowns through the air. I felt very, very worried about the defense in the first half, but thought they played really well in the second. Had a couple of really, really clutch turnovers. Obviously, Scooter Harris's scoop and score sort of turned the game around. It felt like maybe Chavis sort of found his groove back. How did that look on TV? You know the the big the big swings were defense. That scoop and score was absolutely huge. It felt like we were a lot of bend don't break. And I think if you look at Kellen Mond's line, it kind of betrays the game that he played. You know the the line looks great, three touchdowns to the air, but I don't think he was just throwing the ball at will. He wasn't putting it wherever he wanted to go at all times. We got some nice pressure on him. He wasn't always comfortable in the pocket. That said, he was able to find the receivers when it mattered most, uh, and that's the thing that we're going to have to figure out how to do is close out in the big moments, and that's how we're going to win those games. But I do think the performance on paper looks a little better and doesn't give as much credit to our defense as seeing how we played on television, seeing uh, how we played live. I think the defense played well, and I think they have a lot to be proud of. I think the defense has shown a couple of flashes of brilliance throughout this season despite the record. But particularly in this game, I thought they played well, uh, especially after giving up back-to-back huge, like almost 500-yard games back-to-back, and then this one to hold them under 400 yards to a very good team and to keep them kind of in check. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the points we needed to win. That said, the defense played a little better. Diving into some of the advanced stats that our writer Adam Ford has assembled, there are almost a uh, significant statistic data to show that this was objectively a heartbreaker. Uh, Arkansas Love to qualify gained... a heartbreaker. Love to have statistical right. analysis that shows that, yeah, this is a heartbreaker. In such a subjective world, it's nice to be able to point at the data and say, oh, yes, I objectively should feel sad. Uh, Arkansas gained a higher percentage of available yards than AM. We talked about this stat in the first pod. What that means is that of all yards available to you after you receive the ball, uh, we gained 49% of those yards. A&M gained 47. We had more scoring chances. We had seven. They had six. But once again, that issue that has haunted us throughout this season, finishing drives, showed up again. This is how A&M's six scoring chances went. Touchdown, touchdown touchdown, touchdown, field goal, interception. That brings them to 5.2 points per scoring chance. For us, we had seven scoring chances, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, missed field goal, interception, and then the turnover on downs at the end of the game. Hmm. That brought us to 2.9 points per scoring chance. 
It is now the fourth time in five games that we've failed to average even a field goal on possessions where we gained a first down inside the 40. And I think part of that's play calling, part of it's execution, but you're not going to have a winning record when you can't finish drives. I agree. And I think that also comes back to to very inefficient on third downs uh, when we had the opportunity to continue drives. 5 of 13, not great. Obviously, that's not really going to cut it when you get your offense off the field. Not saying that's inherently a reason we lost, but it's worth noting that we killed drives a lot on our own behalf, which I would always contribute to us not converting those scoring chances when we had them if we can't even get a scoring chance because we are going three and out or getting failing to convert on third down, I should say. If there are any positive takeaways, I think – we can take away that the team played a pretty comprehensive football game. I think they played all four quarters. There weren't any kind of sleepwalking moments like maybe there were against San Jose State. I think a rivalry game sort of brings that out in you. Uh, We talk about college football being one of the more emotionally driven sports, and you saw that. You absolutely saw that. Uh, After watching Texas A&M and Auburn, I didn't think A&M looked that great. But they put up a fight against an Auburn team that absolutely demolished Mississippi State this past weekend. So, in retrospect, it, it's the age-old adage, I guess, but it was a quality loss. Yeah, you know, something to be said for a moral victory there for sure. Also, I think it kind of comes to the point that people make about Arkansas quite often, which is that we play to the level of our competition. You know, if we are going to face off against an SEC team, we're going to give an SEC effort, and for some reason, if a team comes in that we're either overlooking or we feel like is beneath us, we can't get our act together. See our first game against Portland State, a game we should have won by way more than what we won by, and of course, see our loss to San Jose State. We just kind of play to our competition's level, which, you know, is frustrating, but just kind of, you know, it's a it's a thing that people have noticed and something that you can't help but notice yourself once people point it out to you. And that is frustrating from the sense of thinking that that mostly goes back to coaching. However, I don't want to criticize the coaching too much because, in my opinion, this was the best, the single best game that this staff has had calling offensive plays. I thought that we sort of had an answer for everything. It just kind of came down to some bad breaks. And I I don't know if that was the vibe as someone who was watching it. From afar, you get to see a little more on TV than you do on the field. But I didn't feel the kind of uh, disappointment with play calling that I felt last week against San Jose State during the Colorado State game early on and Portland State early. Agreed, yeah. And there wasn't any times where I was watching TV and watching us move the ball where I was left scratching my head. Everything, to me made sense now did everything work out no but did i think the play calling flowed and made sense to the way the game was working and how our offense looked yes which i think is something that could not have necessarily been said for this coaching staff in the past so great to see that they are making strides in that direction of calling a game that flows well with who they have on the field the personnel that's out there and what the score dictates we're not running draws when we're down necessarily It is interesting that a lot of Arkansas fans agree 
the confidence polls that we run every week, we had dropped to what is quite literally rock bottom. Zero. With our poll <laughs> bottoming out at zero people. Not one person. That they were less than confident about the direction of this program after the loss to San Jose State. But this week, that poll has rebounded up to, I believe we finished at 50.8%. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I personally voted yes. I felt confident after this weekend. And I don't know what you voted, but I think that it's not unreasonable to feel like maybe we're starting to see signs of life. Agreed. And I, I voted yes. Here's the thing is I've been burned by this confidence before. I see us put up a, a good game against a hard team like A&M. Uh, and then the next week that we play, we go out and get demolished. And then it's just it's a constant emotional roller coaster. I just want a little security and I want a little bit of just consistency. That's all I'm really for. Uh, confidence is great. I, I'm, I do feel good and feel better about this coaching staff, but I would feel a lot better if we could consistently get the kind of performance that we got out of our guys against. And, and, and moving forward, seeing that same effort and that same energy level, regardless of who our opponent is. Pivoting a little bit, and discussing another data point that we had a poll on, thanks to SB Nation's fan polls, uh, we were asked the question this week, which coach will be fired first? <laughs> the options presented were Tennessee, Rutgers, Florida State, Virginia Tech, USC, USF, and Arkansas. I think that this question was definitely framed more after San Jose State for us in particular, but after the votes came in, I was not surprised, but happy to see that on a national scale, people think that we should probably be giving Morris more time because only 5% of respondents thought that Arkansas should be that job, which was the lowest of eligible schools. Uh, on the other hand, you see fellow SEC bottom dweller Tennessee at 25% of people saying that Jeremy Pruitt should have coached his last game. I think that's really interesting, and I'm not sure that I agree with it. I'll kind of defend that statement by saying he didn't have much to work with at Tennessee. He did not. And is having to build a program from rock bottom well, maybe there's a little bit of encouragement that we can take from that, knowing that evidently we are not at the rock bottom that Rocky Top is at. Not even a little bit. I mean, he's had roughly he's he's on roughly the same time frame as Chad Morris. And granted, Tennessee fans, I would say, are it kind of mirrors Arkansas, and that they both have you know storied past, are used to success, and are quick to get a little hot under the collar if things aren't going their way. But man, it, the just being on SEC Twitter during Saturday, the anger and almost vitriol towards Jeremy Pruitt in this season that I have seen coming from Arkansas, excuse me, from Tennessee fans, is something else. And I don't necessarily think I blame them for their anger because the team has looked lackluster. I think the quarterback situation over there is gnarly, and this season to them already seems kind of a bit of a wash. But him and Chad are on the same 
kind of timeline here, and there just seems to be a way longer leash for Chad, which I personally am okay with. Again, I think I think by year three, if we're not seeing improvements, that's when the talk needs to happen. And again, we'll get into it later when we talk about the rest of the schedule, what that might mean for Chad. But I just think he's got to get his guys, and he's got to get his guys in his system, and it takes time to do that. And sometimes there are growing pains, and it's really frustrating to be a fan. So to see that there are people on hotter seats than Chad Morris within our own conference uh, and in the NCAA football landscape at large was very interesting. Worth pointing out that at second place in that poll at 24% saying he should be fired was Rutgers. Well, Rutgers listened to the poll and former Arkansas defensive coordinator Chris Ash was let go by the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. After going 82-0, and 0, or af- sorry, after being outscored 82-0 to 0 in Big Ten games this year, apparently that is bad. That's very bad. I mean, I'm not a math guy. Don't get me wrong. I was a journalism major. I don't do a lot of numbers. We're big content guys here, not numbers. Huge Twitter guy, but man, that's bad. And I do think that is a little interesting. Uh, tip of the hat to uh, old friend of the program, Chris Ash, Brett Bielema's first defensive coordinator, who spurned us for Ohio State and then went off to the green pastures of Picastaway, New Jersey, which are now rotting and not green. Not green. Hey, that guy, he'll find a job soon. Someone, sure. someone will give that guy a coordinator job. Sure. With that recap and discussion, we are excited to present that freshman forward for the Arkansas soccer team, Jordan Stack, is joining the show. Welcome, we get Jordan. To sit down and interview her about the outstanding start that this program has had. All that and more coming up after this break. Welcome back, Razorback fans. We are really excited to have with us on the show freshman forward Jordan Stack from the Arkansas soccer team. We are going to go through a little interview with her and hopefully get you guys hyped up for the game against Ole Miss Thursday, October 3rd at 7 p.m. in Fayetteville. Jordan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. We are super excited to be following soccer this year. Uh, We've got a lot of big soccer fans that write for Arkansas Fight. And you guys are on an amazing run right now. Obviously, there was that frustrating loss to South Carolina this weekend. But before that, a seven-game run uh, of just amazing defense and what we see as the number four in the NCAA. What does a run like that feel like? I think it's really amazing, um, especially like starting, you know, with our seven um, seven zero win both against Lamar and McNeese. I think that was really nice. It kind of got the momentum going, and then I think just beating UNC just really put a cherry on top of it. It was really nice. 
how do you keep that momentum building? Obviously, that is a lot to sustain. And when you come off of just a giant win like that win against UNC, um, how do you keep that going? I think we just have to be like, we beat UNC, but we can get better. So now we have to use what we did well against them and find a way to keep working on those things to get better so we can keep beating teams like UNC. How would you describe Coach Colby Hale's style? What does he do so well that I guess gets you guys kind of fired up for the games and obviously leads to a lot of wins? I think Coach Hale's very demanding. He knows what we can do. So it's kind of expected. So he's very, like, demanding. But at the same time, he's very passionate about, like, the Razorbacks in general. So I think with him being so demanding and passionate just about, like, the sport in general and being a Razorback fan, I think it just helps push everything and pull it all together. So how would you describe the way that Arkansas plays soccer? Do you guys rely on a lot of heavy possession, some heavy pressing, or are you guys, you have an outstanding defense, maybe sit back and park the bus. How would you describe uh, the way that we play to someone who maybe isn't as familiar with the team? Um, well, I definitely don't think it's parking the bus. It's a very press, press to punish, as we would like to say. So, I mean... I think we're great with possession, and I think that's what we try to better ourselves in every day. Um, But we're definitely a press-heavy, press-to-punish. We're not going to let you get out of your end, and we're going to keep you out of our end. So sort of like the Arkansas basketball of the 90s, instead of 40 minutes of hell, it would be 90 minutes of hell. Pretty much, 100% all the time. So sort of piggybacking, I guess, off of that question, who is someone that you would describe as your favorite soccer player in the world? Who are you trying to emulate your game on? And then maybe who's someone you love that maybe you're not necessarily emulating your game off of, but someone that you just enjoy watching? Um, So from the female side, I've always enjoyed watching um, Abby Wambach play. She's a very feisty, aggressive player and knows uh, what she wants when she plays. Like, she's going to goal, and if she needs to go through you, she will go through you. And I think that's what, as a whole, Arkansas probably goes off of. But at the same time, definitely my style of play. Like, it's either my way or kind of the highway, I guess. Um, And then... For like the male side, I think uh, I don't really. I try to focus more on like the females. I mean, you know, I don't think I really have a favorite male player. I think I just enjoy watching just male soccer in general. They move the ball also fast, and I think that's what everyone wants to do when they play. Is they already know where they're going with the ball, and I think that's what I could work on in my game. So changing gears a little bit, you are from Florida, so a little bit of a transplant in Arkansas, and this is an incredibly important question. What is the best chicken restaurant in Fayetteville? Well, 
Um, also, we have Chick-fil-A here, and that's what um, I've eaten in Florida. But definitely coming in, I think it's always a top two between Slim's and Cane's. But I think at the end of the day, I'd have to go for Cane's. Folks, you have heard it here first. The official first athlete on the show to endorse Cane's over Slim's. This will light the press on fire. <laughs> that is pretty much what my friends and I, if we want to go to a chicken place, I think that's what my friends and I mostly go to, especially some of the baseball players. I think they would probably agree with me that they like Kings a little bit more. Wow. Deep cuts here on this podcast. To pivot towards the student side of student athlete, what is that balance like? What is it like being a student while being a Division One athlete? What kind of class is giving you the most homework right now? And how do you maintain that balance between student and athlete? Um, the balance is definitely hard, I would say. Um, I think it's really our classes kind of go off of our um, our soccer schedule. And that's pretty much how a lot of the sports actually go is um, everything's around our schedules. Um it does help, though. We do get our own, like, tutors, so they are able to help us throughout anything that we need. Um, right now, um, my classes aren't giving me too much, but I would say I am kind of studying for a test to do have next week, so my hardest class right now is probably... Media, community, and citizenship, that's what I'm taking right now is one of the classes that I need for my core university classes, and that's kind of given me the most right now since I have a test next week. For sure. I had a class called Media and Society when I was in school a couple of years ago, and it was enough to make me not want to be a journalism major anymore, so I totally understand that. To wrap up this interview, let's talk about the season going forward and kind of what your goals are. What should fans know about this team? Um, I think um, fans need to know that we will probably surprise you when we play, for sure. A lot of people will probably pick us as um, an underdog. So I think people need to probably not underestimate what we bring to our play and I think people should also know that we're going to go out there and yes we make mistakes as everyone does but we're going to go out there and we're going to give it our all for all 90 minutes and if it goes into overtime we're going to give it our all then we're very fight for our teammates fight for the team and just pretty much fight for the state. I feel like we definitely bring in a lot of Arkansas. Like, we do a lot for those who come out and support us. So I think it's we're a very passionate team. Well, that is great to hear, as we obviously have a very passionate fan base. I am sure that they will appreciate that. Um, what is the mood in the locker room right now ahead of this big game against Ole Miss? Obviously, you had the disappointing loss to South Carolina, looking to bounce back, rivals Ole Miss come into town. How are you feeling ahead of that game? 
Um, so Ole Miss kind of rolled up after practice. We weren't there, but uh, it was pretty much like, all right, the enemy has arrived. We know what our goal is, and we're gonna gonna go out there and gonna fight for this win. That is great to hear. Really exciting to hear. Folks, I hope you are fired up about that. I get the benefit of not having to be uh, silent in terms of uh, being a player in the game, so I will, dare I say, predict a win in this column. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We always love having athletes on, and you are the first athlete we've had on, so thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. You can watch the Arkansas soccer team at 7 p.m. at Razorback Field on Thursday, October 3rd. We are so grateful to have had Jordan Stack on. Thank you very much, and go Hogs. Go Hogs. Once again, that is Thursday night, October 3rd, 7 p.m., Razorback Field. Please be there. The atmosphere is incredible. The team is incredible. And now you'll have a voice to put with a face. That was freshman forward Jordan Stack. We're going to take a quick break, and then we will dive into the rest of football season, and we will have Saul back in the studio. He is free from his banishment. Stay tuned. And we are back once again. Thank you so much to freshman forward Jordan Stack for joining us on the show. Please, guys, go check out the Razorback soccer team. They are doing some really special stuff this season, and we are really happy to have them participating on our show as we hope to boost their platform. They deserve it. And if you guys want to go watch a winner, that's the winner. Go watch those girls play soccer. They give out scarves sometimes, too, which is incredible. Love a good soccer scarf. If you are a student, tickets are free. If you are a child, tickets are free. So come on, guys. Go watch some soccer. If you're not a student or a child, they're, like, very cheap. And that's coming from two recent college grads, so you know they're cheap. Let's let's dive real quick back into the rest of the season for the Arkansas Razorback football team. We got a bye this week, bye on Saturday, and I got to say, feel pretty good about our chances. Bye's had a couple tough matchups uh, this week, uh, this this season, and has been defeated handily by each team it's faced so far. So I'm feeling good about our chances on the bye week. Should come away with a nice dub there, nice boost for morale. At the very least, gamblers, you should bet on Arkansas to cover. Now, here's here's I got a couple questions for you. I want to I want to posit to you. We can kind of go back and forth on this, just to kind of shape up the rest of the season. Do you think, in your opinion, after what you've seen from both Starkle and Hicks, and what Ben Hicks did in the Texas A&M game, and coming off a of bye week where maybe Starkle is hurt, do we have? And I hate to say it out loud, but do we have a quarterback controversy at the University of Arkansas? I wish you had not said that out loud. No, um, I think there obviously is reason to be considering this simply because we're not at a point in the season where anybody is really nailed on as the starter. And quite frankly, we're not in a winning position where we have national contention hopes on the line, for example. But... 
I personally don't think we have a quarterback controversy. Morris came out pretty quickly at the end of the A&M game and said Starkle was still our guy. He just couldn't put any pressure on the football because of his injury, making a wonderful tackle, albeit one of the most brutal I've ever seen. The the only time I yelled in anger this game was I was just like, come on, man, what are you doing? Just get out of the way. Put your you body it, on the line. I res- I really do respect that you want to give it all for the team, but my guy, that we I have seen so we've all seen so many injuries by a quarterback because quarterbacks don't know how to tackle because they shouldn't know how to tackle. They do not need to know how to tackle, and they just throw their body and just try to get in the way. And you know, obviously, he did that, but in a way that he injured his hand. And so, obviously, he got injured. I don't suspect that we will have an out-and-out quarterback controversy. I think, obviously, if he's injured, Hicks is going to play. But if he's healthy, I think the job is Starkle's to lose. I think that the heights that Starkle has had have been higher than Ben Hicks's, albeit we've had some lower lows. I almost see it as a situation where the staff rolls with Starkle until something bad happens, either throws maybe a couple more interceptions that look pretty ugly. Hicks has been good at not turning the ball over. But it does beg the question, which Ben Hicks is going to show up? Because that matters. If we're getting the one from the first two weeks of the season, I am definitely more inclined to stick with Starkle. And if we're getting the one from A&M, well, maybe you don't feel so bad. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think there is a QB controversy at all. Um, I just like to stir the pot a little bit there on that one. Because, again, we've all seen how the two-quarterback system has panned out at Arkansas. A lot of times it does not work great. Uh, yeah, I think, again, I'm with you. I think Starkle's our guy as long as he's healthy and competing on a level that we know he can compete at. I agree. The highs of Starkle have been a lot higher to me than the highs of Hicks. He's been more exciting. He's been more of a spark, and I think he runs the offense a little bit better. I think he's looked a little bit more confident, even when he was struggling. I think he felt like he had the reins a little bit better. That said, I do think Ben Hicks is a competent starting quarterback, but again, which Ben Hicks is going to show up? If it's San Jose State and Portland State Ben Hicks, I'm not thrilled with that. Uh, I'm going to hope we hand the ball off to Rakeem Boyd 30 times because Rakeem Boyd's going to carry that team. But if Ben Hicks can come out and look confident and sharp and make these decisive tight window throws that he was making against A&M consistently and accurately, then, yeah, I'm no problem with that guy being the starting quarterback on my team. No, not at all. And I, I, I think we are in decent hands moving forward. I, I don't feel the kind of cloud of doubt that maybe we had at the beginning of the season regarding the quarterback position. I agree. Uh, let's look at, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks at home what our upcoming schedule looks like. So, after the bye week, which I am hoping for a win with, we go to the Bluegrass State, Lexington, Kentucky, at Kentucky, then versus number 7 Auburn, then at Tuscaloosa against now number 1 <laughs> Alabama, then versus Mississippi State, then versus Western Kentucky at number five LSU. I feel like that number five feels a little low based on how they've been playing. And we will, of course, close the season 
with the battle line rivalry presented by Shelter Insurance versus Missouri. <laughs> that game is played in Little Rock. The dreaded Little Rock trademark game. How are you feeling about the rest of our slate? What that, game that is a look good winnable? What games look horrifying? And could we steal some? That gauntlet of Auburn, Alabama, LSU, just that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. I don't, I don't care how much improvement we show. I don't care how scrappy we are. Those are all very, very good teams. I believe they're all top ten teams right now. Uh, and that's just – they're all within top our conference. Top seven teams. All top sevens all within our own conference. All within our own division of our own conference. Insane. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think to me, and this is just because I, I, this might be biased because the SEC East has always had a little bit of a stigma as not being com- as competitive as the West. But I think the most winnable game there besides Western Kentucky is just good old regular Kentucky, the the Wildcats. Uh, that said, they're a good team. They took a Florida team to the very end of the fourth quarter. They're athletic. They're fast. They've got some good athletes on both sides of the ball. I do not know what that game is going to look like, but I think it's our best shot at winning a game. That said, I want to see what Mississippi State looks like as well. Uh, That defensive unit that they're returning is not the fire-breathing monster that they were last year. I think there's some cracks that we can be exposed. That's at home. It's our homecoming game, so that's a nice atmosphere to come in and play at uh, in Fayetteville. So it's not necessarily a toss-up to me, but if I were to go ranking, I would go Kentucky, Followed by Mississippi State. Uh, followed probably with my third, my second runner-up and number three being Missouri. But Kelly Bryant has looked like he's started to pick up uh, where he left off when he was at Clemson, really getting a hold of that Missouri offense, making them look good. People aren't talking about Missouri. They're not necessarily a nationally prominent football program this year, but they're good. They're not a bad program, uh, and it will be interesting to see how they play us in that quote-unquote rivalry game. Uh, so those are my three most winnable games uh, coming up off the bye. What do you got? Probably the same as you. I do think that there are some interesting storylines that I think are going to propel this. I hate to say this just because we've said it a couple of times in different contexts earlier in the pod, but it's, of course, going to depend on which Arkansas team shows up to these games. If the play to the level of your competition happens, we're going to be in trouble. But if we play up, play the kind of game that we played against AM, I think that this team can steal some wins. I do think that Kentucky game looks winnable, and there are some interesting storylines there. We're visiting Kentucky on what will be Jared Lorenzen Day. May he rest in peace. RIP um, to the Pillsbury Throw Boy. One of my favorite one of my favorite people to watch play NCAA football of all time. And the time that we played Jared Lorenzen at Kentucky was the famous other seven-overtime game that Arkansas pulled out the win in. So there are a couple little uh, quirks there that make me think that game's winnable. Adam Ford has got a new sort of projection system put together based on data from this season. He thinks that Kentucky is a 10-point worse team than A&M and obviously we saw that we only lost by four to A&M so maybe we 
play that level again against Kentucky coming up, rested after a bye week, I feel decent about that game. One of the rumors regarding the Rutgers job is that Mississippi State's Joe Moorhead is interested in that job. My thoughts are, if this is true, if an SEC West coach is interested in the Rutgers job, he may see the writing on the wall. And after a debacle of a game against Auburn, I'm not sure that he'd be out of place thinking that. Now, if that is the case, I can definitely see Mississippi State being in the kind of dire straits where a program sort of quits because they don't have that leadership. Well, then all of a sudden that becomes a winnable game. It's in Fayetteville. That's a wonderful advantage. It's on homecoming. So a lot of people are going to be there. I can totally see us pulling out a win there. Western Kentucky, we should win, but God knows football's not played on paper. <laughs> and I can just see a scenario where Ty Story has his redemption tour and throws for like 500 yards because that would be the most Arkansas thing to happen. Missouri and Little Rock, I'm actually a Central Arkansas native, so I don't necessarily have the bad blood around Little Rock that I think a lot of people do. I think that that is a very winnable game. I Once again, we're seeing, I know it's a very forced rivalry, but it's still a rivalry. I can see us getting up for that, getting hyped for that. It'll be nationally televised on CBS as it is every year. I can just see a scenario where the home crowd at Little Rock is always a rowdy one. It's the day after Thanksgiving. The folks have got all that tryptophan from the turkey out of their system, so they're wide awake and rearing to go. I can see us stealing that game. Now, all of these games will probably be theft aside from Western Kentucky for the rest of the season. So, obviously, there is a distinct possibility that we go 3-9. and nine, but I was just about to ask you, do you think... A three and nine season. Are we looking at a three and nine season? I ask that not because I think we are, but because I don't think it falls too far out of the realm of possibility. I'm saying that because we lost to San Jose State, a game we were supposed to win. We played A and M close, but also A and M may be a little overrated. I don't think they played up to their ranking. Every other team besides Western Kentucky, I think, has looked good, and I don't think, except for maybe. I need to look this up, but I don't know if Arkansas is necessarily favored in any of these matchups, regardless of where they are played. So that said, I don't think we're looking at a 3-9 season, but would you be surprised if we ended up with a 3-9 season? I don't think it's surprising. Um, I'll go out and say this now. I think we'll lose to Auburn. I am certain we'll lose to Alabama, and am certain we'll lose to LSU. I just don't see a scenario where we win those games, and I hate... I don't want to be a downer, but did you see the Alabama game this weekend? Uh, because they do not look like a team that will be bothered by us. Um, I do think, obviously, there are those little mitigating factors that I talked about in the Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Mizzou games, but we won't be favored in any of those. I really don't think we will be unless something catastrophic happens which obviously you don't want to see, but I we will not be favored. So any game from here on out will be an upset with the exception of the Western Kentucky game, 
although we've seen it could be an upset anyway. I True. I think a three and nine season is possible, but I'm going to go cautious optimism and say four and eight question mark. I think four and eight's fine. I'll even I'd even be okay. I think we steal one. I think we still maybe one of those three games I listed and I'll go five and seven. I think five and bold. seven is bold it's which is it's it's a bummer that five and seven is a bold prediction. Uh, but I think yeah, I do think five and seven. That's the thing is the range of outcomes here is pretty low. I don't think we're a bowl team by any means. I think five seven five and seven is a great a great season to kind of note to end on because that gives market improvement in Chad Morris's career at Arkansas and gives him a strong case going into his third season, which again I think is kind of the show me year for a coach that's new and coming into a program like Arkansas without much to work with and having to build kind of from the ground up. But I, again, if we ended up three and nine, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. And I want to see what happens after that. But that said, I just want to double check and make sure that you and I were on the same page that three and nine, while not exactly what we're hoping for or expecting necessarily, is not out of the question. And not that anybody wants to hear this, but three and nine is an improvement over last year. Which is painful to say, uh, but it's the truth, folks. I mean, if we win three games, we have won a full game more than we won last year. Nowhere to go but up. Would really, really am rooting for Chad to get an SEC win. Would love to say that. I would do love not to see an SEC win. Would love to see a Power Five win. Would love to see a Power Five win. But that only way that happens is with an SEC win this year, which we want to see and feel is possible. Uh, kind of rounding out this conversation on our upcoming season, what we have left. My last two questions are, one, give me some reasons to have a little bit of optimism. We don't want to be a doom and gloom podcast. We love the Hawks. We're Hawk fans. And, you know, on Saturday, I truly did believe that we were going to win. I believed in the Arkansas team, and I still do. I still feel that way. I feel that the Arkansas team that we have now can beat some of the teams that are on our schedule. So give me some, give me some, give me the case for that, and then give me your guy that you really like on this team to watch the rest of the season, regardless of how the season goes, regardless if we're winning, we're losing. Who's a guy you want Hog Nation to keep an eye on? I am going to take two questions and give you one answer. I think the case for hope is in those young wide receivers. Yep. Those guys have looked like they belonged on the field in an SEC game, in non-SEC games. Those guys are for real. And regardless of what we want to say about the coaching ability of the staff, they evidently can evaluate talent because Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, Mike Woods all look really good. And Traylon Burks, I think, is going to be my guy going forward. But I would not be surprised if Trey Knox also becomes that guy simply because those guys are outstanding. Those guys are outstanding talents. And they are true freshmen coming in to – a less than desirable situation and having success anyway. I think seeing those guys develop, seeing those guys kind of get battle tested against SEC grade defenses, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the development looks like. But I think that that trial by fire is going to be good for these guys. And you're going to have to have playmakers make plays down the line. And quite frankly, I think those are going to be the guys that happen. Traylon Burks from Warren, Arkansas. I've got a lot of family down on Warren. Shout out Warren. 
Uh, Shout out to Warren. He will be my guy to watch going forward. How about you? I like that. I like our. I like our rookie receiver. Rookie. I like our freshman receivers a lot. Um, again, I agree with what you said. Just they look like they belong there. They're making plays. They're helping out our quarterback. They're doing the things that we're asking them to do. You know, making some small mistakes, but that just comes with playing in SEC football as as a freshman. You know, those mistakes are going to happen. Really enjoying watching Cameron Curl on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think he's a monster. He's been all over the field, uh, just making plays. Both, you know, kind of a bit of a ball hawk, hitting hard. Kind of just wherever the ball is, I feel like I hear. And there's Cameron Curl with another tackle. Just wherever he needs to be, he's there. Uh, and I'm excited to see him continue to flex a little bit on that uh, defensive side of the ball throughout the rest of the season. Well, that brings us to the end of the second episode of Wupatsui. Thank you very much to Jordan Stack once again for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you all for listening to the end of this podcast. Uh, thank you for supporting us, and thank you for reading all of our articles and seeing all of our tweets. That obviously is why we do this. We want you guys to feel like you're a part of this, so please shoot us some suggestions along the way. We are more than happy to accommodate those because, once again, this is an Arkansas Razorback podcast by fans for fans, and you are the four fans that we want to make happy. Please, please, please check out those articles by Adam Ford. He works so hard on those and does some outstanding work. Please check us out on Twitter if you want to read some depressed Arkansas thoughts. Please sign up for our SB Nation Fan Pulse poll so that you can make your voice heard and vote in these kind of confidence polls that we have. Links to that all over our site. And please, once again, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, maybe Google Play and Stitcher even coming soon. Whatever you like. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with a preview of our matchup with Kentucky uh, and a lot of other fun things. We're planning on doing a lot of cool stuff with this podcast, so definitely subscribe if you can and be sure to check us out. But yeah, back next week with a preview of Kentucky and should be releasing an episode every week moving forward. Thanks again. This has been Woo Pod Sui. Woo Pig, baby. <laughs> <laughs>